You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. And not joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Madden. And bringing you today's episode is Himalaya. Reminder, you can get Locked on Bucks on the brand new podcasting app Himalaya, as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Bucks. No Frank tonight because of some Thrones watching, uh, DNP Throne watching. I think that would that would be it. But that's okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna take it for tonight. Frank has been doing some heavy lifting without me uh, after games because I've been doing writing over at the Athletics. So um, I, I can I can handle a podcast by myself tonight, and I. <laughs> I think it's going to be pretty interesting going into game four. Bucks win game three, 123-116 behind, I mean, I think largely a 40-31 third quarter uh, where they just, just kind of take over. And I think looking at that game, to me, obviously, what stood out was, you know, as I previewed this game, I I mentioned it was in the the final part of the pot I had dropped the other day, um, previewing game theory that I wondered if there was a moment where Yasuda Kumbo was just going to, to decide that you know he could put his shoulder into Al Horford, he could power through Al Horford, and and he could get to the rack and. I think we saw that in game three. I think if if you watched the way that he played, if you watched the way that he attacked, I thought it was incredibly confident. And I thought it was it was it was really the the Giannis game. And I think you you could see it from the very start of the game. I thought his first drive against Horford was incredibly strong uh with his offhand you know he was kind of trying to shield Horford away with uh the arm bar that Horford likes to use when when he drives or I I guess as Giannis was explaining it to me it's it's an arm bar but it's also uh you know a right hand if if Giannis is driving right a right hand which is the inside hand kind of on his hip and if he's driving to his left then obviously it's Horford running side by side with him with the left hand on his hip, trying to push him out a little bit and, and make the drive tougher. And he just kind of drove through that on the very first basket he gets of the game. And then, you know, a few minutes later, 
I was wondering if we were going to get this Giannis at any point in this series or, you know, if Horford was just too quick and strong. I didn't think that would be the case, but, you know, you had to kind of wonder if it was. And that that second drive Giannis has, I cut it at The Athletic, and I think I put it on Twitter as well, but you could kind of see the difference there where Giannis just put his shoulder into Horford and and dealt with the results. And what the results were was Horford going from, uh, I believe it was about where the circle was, uh, if, if I remember correctly. I don't have it in front of me at the moment. But it was about from where the circle was, and then Horford was out of bounds standing next to the referee at the end of it. And again, th- that was with a, a few, you know, extra, you know, steps backwards. But it speaks to the way in which Giannis can move Al Horford. And I I think that that to me is going to be the story of the rest of this series is the first three games, the officials really allowed Horford to be physical with, with Giannis. And... In the first two games, Giannis kind of felt it out, tried to figure out, is this how they're going to let us play? Is, is this how it's going to be? And then in game three, knew that this was what it was going to be and just decided that, okay, if 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 we're going to get to be physical, I'm going to take full advantage of said physicality. And I'm just going to try to take it to Al Horford. And I thought that's pretty much what we saw him do really throughout that game. And I I just came away incredibly impressed with his composure, with his uh, ability to attack. And then, uh, you know, just kind of how he can feel a game out. And he he has five turnovers in that game. That That's, I believe, the most he's had in the series thus far. Uh, two of those turnovers come on charges. Those were the first charges he's had of the series. And, you know, I wrote at, at The Athletic that charges, charges aren't a good thing. Like, you don't, you don't want charges. But at the same time, charges are in some ways emblematic of a a very aggressive approach and i think that's that's what we saw from Giannis in game three and you know just talking with him a little bit it was before the series we had talked about charges we had talked about you know how often the celtics were mentioning that in their in their interviews how much they were mentioning it anytime they had a chance to talk with the media and you know, he said he said something that I thought was really interesting that was just like, well, you know, if I'm going to get charges, like the charges are going to be there. You're, you're going to have charges. And he's like, you know, I'll give up two charges to take something else. So you want your two charges. That's fine. You can have your two charges. I'm going to get 17, 18 points on the paint. I'm going to get to be aggressive if you take those charges. So you can have those two possessions. I'll take 17, 18 points in the paint. And, uh, well, on, on on Friday night, he gets 16 points in the paint. And then he goes, he gets 16 more points at the free throw line. So he gets 32 points on the night, only took one three. 
8 of 13 from the field for his 16 points in the paint. 16 of 22 for the line, from the line for his 16 points at the free throw line, 32 points overall. And then I thought what, what was just so impressive was his passing. That he could be as aggressive as he was, attack as much as he did, and still make the right passes. And, you know, there's there was an interesting exchange with with Brad Stevens after the game where he said, you know, the the thing that kind of sticks it in my mind from the game is Giannis at the top of the key whipping a ball to the corner and he's able to get it through the he's you know where we should have defenders. We should have been tight enough where where that it was impossible and when he said that, I I was thinking of the same play. Right, like in my head, I was like, "Oh, I know exactly which play uh, he's he's talking about." Uh, and when I looked it up after the play, I thought he was talking about was the play that caps a twelve-zero run, and I was sure of it. I I was I was a hundred percent convinced, like that was the play he was talking about. And what happens on that play is. Giannis is coming down in transition. The Celtics are a little bit looser than they normally are in transition, but still find a way to show the wall. And Giannis does his, you know, when he's getting ready to make a move right around the three-point line, you know, he'll slow the steps down and then he'll explode one more time, whether that's a left-right for a Euro step, a right-left, whatever it may be, he's going to slow the feet, make one final move, blow by whatever defender he's trying to get to and get to the rack, and he does it, and when he does it, all of a sudden George Hill opens up in the right-hand corner, he tosses it over there, George Hill hits a 3, 12-0 run, Bucks are in control the rest of the way. So I'm I'm 100% convinced that's the play Brad Stevens was talking about, and it, I'm convinced of it because I... I was just so impressed by Giannis on that play, you know, just a a game where he had totally taken over, he he was totally in control, he could get wherever he wanted, and he made he makes that play, he makes that pass. It, it was it was to me just kind of it, it summed up just how impressive he has become as a playmaker, as a passer, as a creator, as an offense onto himself. It, it, to me, it, it was just so impressive, and I I ended up like thinking about it, and then you know I watched the rest of his assists from the night, and the first three that the Bucks hit in the first half was a pass from Giannis to Miritich, Miritich in the left corner, Giannis literally just in the middle of a half court set. And he throws it at the perfect time. It was right when the baseline help defender was loading towards Giannis. He got him. I can't remember exactly who the defender was, but he catches him right as he's making the step towards the middle to help. Kicks it out to Miritich. Miritich barely gets a three off, but he hits it. And that might have been the play Brad Stevens was talking about. I don't know. I don't know which one of those two he was talking about, but the fact that there's two of them speaks to how talented 
Giannis is and how much he took over that game. And, you know, I just thought going into that game, you know, I was watching uh, I was watching Sports Center a little bit and I think, you know, Brian Windhorst was was talking about how, oh, you know, this is this is the biggest game of 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 Giannis's career. This is the one where, you know, we decide if he's truly ready to be a superstar, like all this stuff. And, you know, I, I think that's something that you say when you th- think there's a chance he might fail. And I guess what, what I mean there is, you know, you say that so that afterwards when it doesn't happen, you know, you can, you can talk about like, oh, well, you know, he just wasn't, he wasn't up to the task. He, he wasn't, he wasn't good enough. He, he just couldn't he couldn't really couldn't really get the job done instead of you know when it does happen and he does do that and you say at the end like damn that's that's the best player in the world right now and i i i don't i don't want to try to you know disparage anyone but you know i feel like that's often what we do right like we set up something that we think someone can't do and then tear them down when when they can't do it. And Giannis did it. He, he just flat out did it. And I thought it was it was so impressive in that moment, in that spot. Series tied one one in Boston. Got to get the job done, and and that's exactly what he did. And it, it was just. It was just really impressive to watch. So we we'll have to see if if Giannis has that in him for Game Four as well. If this is kind of where the tide turns and he figures out just how confident he can be, he figures out uh, just how much he can attack, just kind of what what he can do. And outside of Giannis, there was also some other interesting things and. I guess the the first thing I will say is, you know, um, if one of the plays that I'm talking about with Giannis includes Miritich, I think you kind of have to talk about how big Miritich has been in that starting lineup where uh, Sterling Brown does not play. I know he's dealing with some injuries, and uh, Bud said, you know, it was more about just how well Miritich was playing than, than anything else. And... Uh, I thought you saw the difference between what it's like when Miritich is on the floor and what it's like when Sterling Brown is on the floor because Miritich spaces to, you know, 30-plus feet. Like, if you put him above the break, Celtics defenders have to be at at least the three-point line. And if that's the case, and Giannis can get to the three-point line, when he makes his step through... There's not a defender waiting below the level of the ball for him like there was when Sterling Brown was out there. With Miritich, you got to be all the way out there, and that means there's more space for Giannis. And if you put him and Lopez on the floor at the same time, both of them above the break, you really put yourself in in a tough spot because you have those two up there, then you have Middleton in the corner, and if Giannis drives to that side the only person you can help off of is Eric Bledsoe and sure you can do so but if you put Eric Bledsoe in the other corner 
the help defender is is a small at the rim and that really makes it difficult on a defense so i know after after game two you know i i told the story on twitter about how velasquez and i kind of kind of joked with Mirtich about his hands to the sky head up thanking god for for finally making a shot he was one for five in that game too and it was the last one he hit it was in the fourth quarter they're up by a bunch but he was still thankful for it to go in and uh we gave him a hard time about it but you know he, he took it in stride and then it, it was funny after game three we walk into the locker room and Miritich immediately searches both of us out and goes and, and again like we had just walked in most of the time you know guys try to ignore the media as much as possible uh and go about getting ready and and leaving and Miritich goes out of his way to find both of us and just goes i hit shots tonight guys and yeah we we kind of laughed and said yeah you can't deny that uh three of seven for him and i i, I just think that that adjustment has been really big for the Bucks, having Miritich in there instead of Sterling Brown. Uh, I think you can just see how how important that spacing is and how big it is. Um, I think one of the other things uh, to talk about from an adjustment standpoint is the Bucks adding just a, even a little bit more switching to what they're doing. Uh, you know, when you talk to them, they'll say the the idea of switching one through four isn't that big of an adjustment. Like that's that's pretty simple for them. I would argue. I would argue, and I have argued that it is a pretty big adjustment going from not switching anything to switching everything one through four uh, on ball screens and stuff like that. Uh, I I think it is pretty significant, but. They'll say that's a, a smaller adjustment. And then, you know, I thought in game five, you got to see Brooke Lopez on Kyrie Irving a couple times. And uh, just like Irving said after game two, where he had mentioned, oh, you know, I'm not going to I'm not gonna settle as much for jumpers when I get those switches. I got to do a better job. I got to blow by guys. I got to do I got to do just better. He said the same thing, you know, when Brooke Lopez on me, I, I, after game three, he said, I, I got to be better. If I see him, I, I got to blow by, like, all this stuff. And, you know, I, I think, uh, I've thought this is fun, it's kind of funny the whole time, but, um, you know, before the series, I tweeted out a couple possessions of Brooke Lopez switching. And I, I did so and said, like, hey, I, I understand that this is not Kyrie Irving, that covering Kyrie Irving one-on-one is is much different than I think it was Darren Collison and Boyan Bogdanovich and uh, I'm trying to think who else Tyreek Evans maybe I think those were the three and uh, the the point was to show that you know he can actually do it and I think it's it's in some ways kind of a disservice to to Brooke but so many I think when people see him do it he's so big that I think people just discount it as a novelty that oh you know like it happened on one or two possessions and 
you know, it, it just, it, you know, it was the offensive players not taking advantage, or it was, uh, you know, Brooke getting getting lucky with a missed shot, and I, I do kind of feel bad for him that people just don't want to give him the credit. Like, it's so, it, it's such an anomaly for a dude so big to be able to do that, that people just want to be like, no, you know, well, sure, he did it that time, but that's that's not really what he can do and like I, I don't know why people don't want to accept that you know he can actually move his feet pretty well and obviously the the bucks have zone dropped brook the the entire year in pick and roll coverage but you know when he's been asked to do other things like he does actually move his feet pretty well i think he understands the concept of of a high hand really really well he always talks about having his stick hand high and i think he does that really well he runs guys off the line and then he's just so big that you have to go really wide to get around him and then when you do he's he's gotten really good at recovering and making it tough on you so uh you know another small adjustment from the bucks that you know when you make these adjustments and add them all up i think you do get something that that's that's pretty unique and interesting so um and that would be the other thing I would talk about from an adjustment standpoint. And I guess in the starting lineup, Bledsoe was bad again. He had a really rough start to that game. I think two of nine uh, to start. He ends four fifteen on the night. Was a little bit better in the second half. Uh, after the game, he was talking about you know how he still felt pretty good about his defense and what he was able to contribute there. But uh, obviously, not a great night shooting for him. Chris Middleton, great again. Like he was just six of 12 from the field, 20 points, five of six from the free throw line, five assists, four rebounds, three steals. Um, just a, another really solid night from Chris Middleton. And it, that's kind of what it's, what it's been really this entire postseason for him. He, he's just, he's just been incredibly solid. All right, let's go to the bench. These are the guys that I think won the bucks, the game. You, you look at, George Hill, 21 points, four rebounds, three assists, uh, nine of 12 from the field, two of three from the three-point line, a dunk in there as well. And Pat Connaughton, 14 points, five of 11 from the field, seven rebounds, two steals, and a block for him. And I, I think let's talk about Pat first. Pat has that block that afterwards he daps up a dude uh on the baseline because he he was friends with the guy uh it, it that would that was just a, a wild scene to me that you know after volleyball spike you know ball out of bounds uh in an away arena there's pat connaughton giving some dude a high five on on the sidelines like uh, that uh, obviously uh, everyone knows that connaughton is from boston but you know it was just kind of funny to to watch all of that unfold and <laughs> and and just kind of see that so uh that was pretty good that was pretty funny but ultimately he ends up having an 11 point first half and you know he has that that really impressive run uh to end the uh, not all the way in the first quarter but uh to kind of help close things up at the end of the first quarter, or I, I guess with a few minutes left in the first quarter, where you know he he makes the three, then he comes down, he makes another three, then he has that 
just monster offensive rebound where the the, the picture of it makes it look like he was going to two-hand put it back with a dunk, but instead, you know, he soars up, grabs this offensive rebound, lands, lays it up, and then all of a sudden Pat Connaughton has an eight-point first quarter. And then the other thing that he does in that in that first half is uh, obviously he had the block that I just talked about, but the Bucks go down 46-34, and you know they're in a they're in a pretty tough spot at the moment. And then Giannis goes to the free throw line twice. He gets it to 38-46, and then Connaughton is the one that hits the three that makes it 46-41. So Bucks go down 12, quick 7-0 run. And it's it's back to forty six forty one, and that to me was a huge sequence. That was a spot where the game could have got away from you. The uh, obviously this is basketball is a game of runs, and you know you probably find your way back in. But just the fact that Pat was a part of the reason why they found their way back in and found their way back in quickly, and, and I, I just think keeping it in that. You know, it was kind of like the the six to eight range, and then all of a sudden Lopez and Miritich go back to back on threes and tie the game, and and then you know you're going into the half at, at a one point game rather than you know down double digits or something like that. Like I just thought Pat was was such a big part of of kind of what they did, and then. You know, the other guy on the bench that we were talking about is George Hill, and Hill just has this huge game where um, aggressive George Hill was out. He, he was ready, and, you know, we've joked about it since he's been here and, you know, the, the, the legend of aggressive George Hill and kind of what he's meant to, to some other teams in the past in being that, but he was just huge for the Bucks. Bledsoe doesn't have his best night, uh, and yet Hill just steps in, 21 points, 4 rebounds, 3 assists, 9 of 12 shooting, 2 of 3 from 3, and, you know, he's a huge part of that third quarter run where where the Bucks end up pulling away, and, you know, it it was just kind of a, a great reminder of why the Bucks brought him in in the first place and you know what a move uh john horst makes with that deal because obviously i think at the time we were all impressed that the bucks were able to to get what they did for for you know john henson and matthew delvadova in a first round pick you know to be able to get rid of both of those contracts using just one first round pick, uh, we we talked, we kind of lauded just how good it was from a cap perspective, and uh, I think at the time, underrated just how much George Hill had left, how good he could be because he's just been fantastic throughout throughout the postseason and really since since he got to Milwaukee and a large part of it has just been uh you know the aggressiveness with which he's been able to play and and the impact that he's been able to have and you know you look at that run where they go from I think it was let's see it was 82-82 to uh 90 
the Celtics threw a one heck of a punch, and the Bucks answered it. And the Bucks didn't necessarily answer it in the way that I I think you'd think they would. Obviously, Giannis having a huge night is is how they answer. But you know, Middleton was solid, and then Bledsoe was not good. Like he he did not have a good night. But the Bucks were were able to have other people step up, and you know, I think going into to any game, if if the Celtics are are, are going to be told that they get to shoot forty percent from the three point line, that Kyrie gets to go to the free throw line twelve times, that uh, you know Jason Tatum's able to have a, a strong night. Like if you're able to to get all of those things, and then conversely, you're told that Giannis is going to have a great game and Chris is going to play well, but Bledsoe is going to be is going to be terrible. You probably take that. You probably say, "Yeah, we're gonna win that game." And the Bucks just had a, a great performance from George Hill, had Pat Connaughton step up, and had just enough to go along with Giannis and and how dominant he was, and and the Bucks pull it out. And I, that's why I'm curious what happens in Game Four because the the Celtics are Marcus Smart is listed as questionable. Malcolm Brogdon is listed as out for Game Four, so uh, the Celtics might actually have Smart return before Brogdon returns. Um, but uh, how much does Marcus Smart change change things? I know he's going to give them a huge energy boost. He's going to give them, you know, uh, a lot defensively, uh, and he's become a, a pretty good shooter this year. Uh, so he'll help out there as well. So, you know, he can give them a boost. There's no doubt about it. But, uh, you know, you got to find find some minutes for him. you got to figure out, uh, I guess he'd come in for Terry Rozier and take Rozier's 14 minutes from, from Friday night's game. Um, but, you know, at the same time, the the Bucks have, have kind of weathered storms throughout uh, this series. So uh, we'll see if they can handle a Marcus Smart storm. And, you know, as I, as I think through it... I, the one thing I'm curious about is we've seen how physical that uh, that a Dedekumbo Horford matchup has been this entire series. That I wonder if if there's a possibility that Giannis gets a couple early fouls and you know has to deal with foul trouble, doesn't get to be as aggressive, and the Bucks have to find find a way through that and, and attempt to navigate that in game four. I am curious if, if we see one of those, cause we haven't seen one of those games uh, quite yet. And, and I wonder if, if, you know, Monday is, is the night that we actually end up seeing that. So um, we'll see. Uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure how this one goes down, uh, but it should be a good game Four bucks. will will try to escape Boston with two, go home three one and and put themselves in the driver's seat but you know we talked through throughout this series about stealing home court and you know what you got to do on the road the bucks won one on the road after not winning a game in td garden for the entirety of the playoffs last year going zero and four at td garden the bucks stole one and they stole their fir- the first one the first time they got a chance at td garden they they grabbed it and again, I don't, I don't know if there were any demons that were exercised um, or anything like that. But I do think it is significant that the Bucks were actually able to take care of business and get that done in Game Three. So we'll see what they have coming up here in Game Four. 
that is going to be it for us for today. A reminder, if you do want to get this show every day, subscribe to Lockdown Bucks on the new Himalaya podcast app and an ever-expanding podcast world. You need Himalaya with their personally curated playlists and new features every single day. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Lockdown Bucks. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can subscribe to the show on the new Himalaya podcast app as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Bucks. So that's going to be it for us for today. Frank will take you home after the game. Uh, he will have that all ready to go for you. Uh, schedules and travel make all of this difficult and interesting. Uh, so a big shout out to Frank for kind of trying to find all of the ways through this. And I'm more than happy to take uh, the pod tonight while he watches some game of Thrones. So uh, shout out to all of you. Thanks for listening. We're always so happy that you guys do. Uh, and we'll see what happens after game four. I will talk to you uh, on, let's see, Monday to Tuesday. So I will talk to you on Wednesday. So for Frank, man, I'm Eric name. This has been lockdown bucks. We'll talk to you later.